All right, well, I've titled this, because I've been emphasizing the gospel and the hope that is in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you today, in your heart and in your mind, to trust him, even through the dark nights of the soul. So many Christians who were faithful in Christ had these dark nights of the soul. Martin Luther, the great reformer, had these times in his life till his dying day where he would have to recluse and go through them. And so this is important to understand. And so I wanted to start off with the prophet Jeremiah, who is called the weeping prophet. Many times throughout his writings, you will hear some dark sayings from him. One of which comes from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And this is before the positive, uh, his mercies are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. So let me read this to you. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and again throughout the day. He goes on into even darker sayings after this. I want to begin by asking the question, why would a man of God think and speak this way? True, it was any time when the hope and salvation of Christ Jesus had not been revealed in the Holy Spirit was not given to men and women as it's given to us. But it is undeniable to any paying attention that mental disorder and the troubles and doubts that come with it are still present in true believers of Christ. Jeremiah wrestled with great loneliness, feelings of defeat and insecurity. Again, also known as the weeping prophet, Jeremiah suffered from constant rejection by the people he loved and reached out to. God had called him to preach, yet forbade him to marry and have children. He lived alone. He ministered alone. He was poor, ridiculed, and rejected by his people. In the midst of it, he displayed great spiritual faith and strength, and yet we also see his honesty as he wrestled with despair and a great sense of failure. Jeremiah 20, 14 and 18 says, Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to the end of my days in shame? Nearly 800,000 people in this world today, and that is an old statistic, die by suicide in the world each year. 800,000 people die by suicide in the world each year. This number has increased, which is roughly one death every 40 seconds. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in the world for those aged 15 through 24. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. 
Being a follower of Jesus Christ and loving him does not always remove or cure the wrestlings of the mind in whatever form they take. Anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, PTSD, fear, doubt, insecurity, shame, restlessness, etc. But our Lord Jesus Christ does offer us his companionship. And with his companionship, his comfort. Through his Holy Spirit that lives in us. And can give us strength to not only cultivate and fertilize the ground from which these issues grow from. Meaning he can give us the strength to not do those things that are detrimental to us. Even though they are there. He can give us the power through them to overcome them. Romans 8, 24 through 25 says this, For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That word perseverance means patience. Everything we think or do has a ground in which it was planted and from which the root takes hold and begins to grow into whatever that seed may be. The branches of whatever issues are in our lives are only the offshoots and visible consequences of what the root in that ground is feeding on. From a dark place where God's light is not shining brightly, and giving true, healthy counsel and comfort. Examples of these branches from that which is rooted in this ground, anger, frustration, distrust, pride, greed, contention, strife, hatred, envy, boasting, obsessive compulsion, depression, anxiety, fear, doubt, to give attention to these negative things in such a way that they feed and drink from that attention can cause an increase in the spread of an invasive state of mind for the believer. Rendering them ineffective to promote the truth of God and the hope it gives to those in darkness, including themselves. Most of the time, we ourselves obstruct the light from shining because we genuinely believe and excuse the negativity as something uncontrollable and therefore unavoidable. We justify it as, my circumstances when I was young was the precursor to who I am now, and all of these feelings that I have now are uncontrollable and therefore unavoidable. They will always come. And maybe you're right in that. Maybe they will always come. I have found in my own life, they always come. But I have hope in Christ. And I have learned through obedience to God's word how to get a hold of them in a positive, healthy way so that I am not drowning in these emotions that afflict me through those circumstances those thoughts that are intrusive. The parable of the sower in Matthew 13 conveys this point well, especially the seed that falls among thorns. 
In Matthew 13, 7, we read, And some fell among thorns. And he's talking about the seeds that were thrown. He eventually explains this parable, saying that the seed is the word of God, that God throws upon the earth. And there are many grounds that it falls into. One was this ground uh, where thorns was growing. And the thorns sprang up and choked them. He explains this meaning in 1322 when he says, Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and become unfruitful. The picture here, I believe, speaks directly to the root issue of all bad thinking and the actions that proceed from it. These are the cares of this world and the believing that the remedy for lacking in body and mind is to acquire the deceitful esteem of success and wealth manifested in personal peace and affluence. That is, we surround ourselves with things that seemingly are positive and give us strength to believe for a moment that we're okay. Money, success, drugs, alcohol, temporal. But the list could go on and on with the worldly things that we put into our lives that give us this false sense of security and wellness mentally and spiritually. And it can get so subtle as even using the word of God to do that. Even using righteousness, our own righteousness, not the righteousness that comes from God, our own righteousness, by using his word so that it convinces everyone around us and maybe even ourselves that we have it together. But really we don't. It's a show that we put on. It is a face that we put on because really when everything else is taken away from us, we ourselves are in turmoil within because we have not learned obedience by the things that we suffer like Jesus did. We don't learn how to rely on him and trust in him with all of our hearts, not leaning on our own understanding, which comes from here, but in all our ways acknowledging him and allowing him through our obedience to his word to direct every step that we take. Charles Spurgeon once said, he was the great prince of preachers, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. We are inside our own minds, and no one else can understand us when we are in the depths of despair and the throes of the deepest darkness of the soul. No one can understand you like God understands you. When you're in these times of darkness, the throes of the deepest darkness of your soul, no one is in your mind to understand who you are and what you're going through. God does, and you have a choice in those times to trust the Lord with all of your heart and not lean on your own understanding or not trusting the Lord and leaning on your own understanding and outwardly reflecting defensiveness, 
repulsiveness for anyone who might call anything out in you that might be a deficiency. Even in your own self, understanding your weaknesses and coming to grips with those weaknesses and allowing God entrance to use those weaknesses for his glory, like Paul says. My strength is perfected in weakness. He cannot use the weaknesses that we have if we are guarding them with pride and arrogance or even our false sense that we can fix those things inside of us that are detrimental to us. It's a house of cards. One card upon another. Eventually it's going to fall down. But God is building us into a spiritual house. He being the foundation, the rock on which we are built so that when any storm comes into our life, the wind blowing, the rain beating, we can stand firm upon him and his truth. Being inside ourselves in these moments make it difficult for us as Christians to see God's light around us when the negative thoughts seem to block it out. Again, this is because we still carry the old man, that is the sinful flesh, with us as we are being renewed day by day in Christ by his daily forgiveness of our sins and the life-giving power of his resurrection, his resurrection life in us. Paul speaks to this point profoundly in Romans 8, 18 through 27. Listen closely and watch the highlighted portions of this scripture. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility. As you notice, I have in parentheses there added, the definition means vanity, pointlessness, or uselessness. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Why? Because when the Spirit of the Lord is leading you into truth, you are indeed free of all those things that hold you in this world. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We are in constant conflict. Like Paul the Apostle says in Galatians 5, the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit warring against the flesh. And he adds this afterwards, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And then he goes on, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. I quoted this at the beginning, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait 
for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now listen to this. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And I would say to you today, even when you're going through things in your body like I am, pain, it affects here. We are conscious beings. And therefore, everything is filtered through what we see and what we hear, into here and then into here. Everything in this world. So it's important that we have healthy minds and healthy hearts, grounded in Christ Jesus the Lord, by the direction of his Holy Spirit in truth, and obedience. Did you know that the heart sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart? Research has shown that the heart communicates to the brain in four major ways. Neurologically, that is through the transmission of nerve impulses. Biochemically, via hormones and neurotransmitters biophysically through pressure waves, and energetically through electromagnetic field interactions. Communication along these conduits significantly affects the brain's activity. It's called the heart brain. It's real. Scientists have called it that. They have found that your heart actually thinks and sends thoughts to your mind. I've said this before in some sermons, but let me go on. Moreover, research shows that messages the heart sends to the brain also can affect one's life performance. God knows this from the beginning, and it is said multiple times throughout his word. One example is in Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. And we remember Jesus in Matthew, the light of the body is the eye. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Even back then, God knew the science of the heart, how he made it, that's Psalm 139. In the secret places you formed me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. The heart is an incredible vessel with a truly superior intelligence, as positive emotions are ultimately what reinforces our health. In fact, the heart even regulates these emotions using a series of hormones. Of all the cells in the heart, 67% are nerve cells. 67% are nerve cells connected to your brain. It is the only organ that can send information autonomously to the brain based on the organic stimuli it receives. And now listen to this, our hearts, this is 
obviously scientific knowledge, worldly knowledge based upon things that are happening in our bodies, but the Lord God created us. He has us in this world. This is important to note because we have the old man still with us, communicating to us all the negative things about us and about the world in which we live, and we also have the new man created in Christ continuously compelling us on into holiness and righteousness in him, telling us, bring every thought into captivity so that you might stand worthy of him who has called you into that truth. And again, it is the only organ that can send information autonomously to the brain. Our hearts are responsible for homeostasis. That word homeostasis means any self-regulating process by which an organism tends to maintain stability while adjusting to conditions that are best for its survival. In other words, the trials of your faith, which are precious to the Lord God, are tried right here and manifest right here. And most of the time, through here. And this is why we need to manage these things. This is why we need to bring the body under subjection to Christ and allow him entrance to be truly the Lord of our lives. If you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, it is now time that you live like that is true. Because if you're not, it contradicts the very meaning of the word Lord. So this means that among its many vital function, it also guarantees our emotional balance. This homeostasis, when we allow God's word in our hearts and those issues of life that proceed forth from it to be the Lord, to be that which guides us at all times by faith. Little more, it does this by inhibiting stress through prioritizing the release of hormones like oxytocin. This makes perfect sense when you think how deeply you feel things in your chest and abdomen. Have you ever been afraid and felt your stomach swirling with those butterflies? Have you ever been angry and you feel it right here? It's because those neurons that are in your heart are functioning in a different way than this. Your emotion comes from here. And therefore, we're affected here. We're affected in the heart. And the Bible talks so specifically about the heart. Jesus Christ wants to change the hearts and minds of those who trust in him. He wants to abide in us and us to abide in him. And that is where he takes up residence. That's where his spirit dwells. That is really the temple that we are in Christ is the heart that we have in us. The creation, listen, this makes perfect sense when you think how deeply you feel things in your chest and abdomen when you are sad, irritable, depressed, etc. The creation was subject to futility, that is vanity, emptiness. But in Christ, we are subjected to hope that one day we will be made new in him, glorified. The root of most mental instability inside a person is, I will posit today, perspective. Perspective, simple in its concept, 
but truly complex if you think about it. When you have the wrong perspective, you are prone to the trouble that that brings. In other words, if you cannot see over the wall the danger that's coming towards you, you will panic. You will do everything you can to prepare for whatever is going to come around those walls or break through those walls, and most likely you're going to be tight-fisted in doing so. But if you can trust that the living God sees a higher perspective than you, that he is truly the watchman of your soul, the sentinel that sits upon the high place looking 360 around you and is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, then you will have no worries. You will be able to find that godly contentment in your life. You will be able to sincerely do away with all the negative feelings and emotions and thoughts in your mind that prevent you from trusting in God that way. When you truly submit to him in the right way. Some people get stuck in a certain perspective because of an imprinted trauma or repetitive negative lifestyle. This can manifest itself, I truly believe, in chemical imbalances of your brain. I truly believe in those things. But you know what I believe in more? The healing power of Jesus Christ. That there is no supplement to his healing power. There is no supplement to finding true peace in him. No drug that's going to allow you to think better, feel better, act better. Nothing's going to promote true love and true peace inside of you than having a right relationship, a close relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ and his spirit being upon you and leading you. From there, it's just a matter of choice how you decide to present your bodies whether you are going to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, or present yourselves to the world and to yourselves and try to maintain control, which I promise you all you're maintaining control of is an inanimate object on a cart that's going out of control. It has no connection with what's going out of control. You think it does, but I promise you, yank on that thing and you'll see that the reins aren't connected to anything. And you're on a one-way ticket to destruction. But one thing about our God is even if you're on that as a Christian, because that's what I started with, Christians can have this. Even if you're on that cart going 100 miles an hour on bumpy roads toward a cliff, God is not going to let you go over it. Eventually, eventually, he'll let you come to a place where you call upon him in truth and saying, God, I have no power in myself. I have no strength. I'm thinking unclearly. That's what he did for me. Constantly, I was always so prideful and arrogant about the way I was thinking, even in my depths of emotion. I thought I had it together because I knew the scripture so well. I could articulate it to people so well. I could counsel the best of them with the scripture. And I thought that I had it together. And when those dark nights of the soul came, I would hold on, going 100 miles an hour. And it was at those times that I realized, I really don't, God. This is a show. This is a show that I'm putting on. It's truly a show. 
And I've confessed it to you, that self-fulfilling prophecy, you know that psychological term where you can self-fulfill a prophecy about yourself? You can create something for yourself and you could truly believe it inside until everything around you disproves that? That's what's happening to a lot of us in this world. We have all these self-fulfilling prophecies. We have all these different things that we're creating for ourselves, pictures of who we are, and we're presenting that to ourselves and other people. But everything around us is saying otherwise. And everybody looking in is saying, "Mm, no, something's off. Something seems wrong. And I would assume that they would be right in that assumption. They were with me. So... Perspective, I believe, is the root of most disbelief in God and the authority of his word. Wrong perspective is what gives strength to the mind to wander into thoughts and feelings that pull a person into all types of sin, doubt, despair, fear, sadness, reservation, anger, hatred, or disbelief, and in the end, torment of the soul itself. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, that word is a mind word, might comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know, where do you know, here and here, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In the inner man, this word, that phrase, inner man, this virtually is the same meaning as in your hearts. Dwell in your hearts, that inner man, that's inseparable with in your heart. So what he's saying really is his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts. He may take control of the inner man and dwell inside of you and lead you into the right way. Christians need spiritual strength, not physical worldly force of influence. The Holy Spirit prompted the way in which the apostles wrote out of the instructions of living by faith in Christ Jesus by having them emphasize the connections the mind and heart have to our spiritual well-being when rooted and grounded in Him. Rooted and grounded in Him. We have many limited points of view from our understanding of what we see and hear through our eyes and ears, but God has many infinite vantage points from which to assess and refine us into the ultimate beings we were created in Him to be. All we need to do is wait for Him patiently. As Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Weariness and fainting begin in the ground of the heart and mind influenced by the world that is allowed to take them captive. That's where weariness and fainting come from. 
when they are taken captive by the world and all the things in the world choked like that seed that's among thorns. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Be strong in the Lord, church. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan is a great tempter. He knows that the greatest temptations that he can offer begin here. I think of James. I didn't write it in this sermon. I'm thinking of it now where it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anyone. But everyone is tempted when he is drawn away through his own lust and enticed. And then this part, then when lust has conceived, where does it conceive? Here and here. When lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. In Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and trust in the living, life-giving power of our resurrected Savior to be able to transform your mind and heart so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will before him who loves you and gave himself for you. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That comes from Romans chapter 8, 14. And they who are children have all the power of heaven to overcome the trials of faith in body, mind, and spirit. I leave you with this verse, Colossians 3, 14 through 17. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It really comes down to a perspective where we are giving God thanks. We are giving him praise for being who he is and being in control of even our lives when we think everything is uncontrollable, unavoidable, that we truly give him every ounce of who we are. And when we surrender to him in that way, he will hear us and he will acknowledge us in those things. And we will be like David in the Psalms that he will not allow those things to overtake us, as in Psalm 91. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will show him my salvation. With long life, I will give him everything that he needs.
God desires for us to have faith like that. Because if we cannot understand that God desires a healthy mind, a healthy heart in us, then we will not understand the gospel and the hope it brings to the world. And I, for one, want to be hopeful. I don't want to be crying in somebody's lap my, my whole life. I don't want to be crying spiritually and playing the spiritual violin all the days of my life. You think maybe that that's insensitive, and I know where that would come off insensitive. In no way am I trying to be insensitive when I say that. Because I, for one, have the dark nights of my soul where I go through those depressions, the anxiety, the fears, the doubts. But there comes a point where God stands us on our feet like he did with Job and all the trials that he was going through and all of the different things he was saying, both negative and positive, about God. Stand on your feet. And he rehearsed for Job all the things that he is in this world and out of it. And so I want to encourage you as we come before the table of the Lord to manage these things in your heart with Christ's help to take an inventory of your life today. Even now, you can change. Even now, you can be transformed by Christ, by the renewing of your mind. And you can be somebody totally different than you were before, because that is what sanctification means. He is sanctifying us, meaning he's changing us day by day into his likeness. So be encouraged today in the Lord Jesus Christ. I desire that, and I'm finding great joy and peace in giving God glory and giving him thanks when I have these intrusive thoughts that come in. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. I glorify you, God. I thank you. This is how I do it in my truck. I just start pouring out praises from my lips, and I find that he's right there to comfort me and to see me through it and then give me boldness for the gospel to tell other people that he brings into my life, that yes, there's hope in the living Savior. You too can have joy in him.